Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Fantastic to be with you today. We are in the period of Lent where we as a church and churches all across the world walk towards the cross. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that act of love is what we're remembering. That's why we've called this series, No Greater Love. And so today we're gonna dig into that theme. We're gonna begin with a scripture which is looking forward to the coming of Jesus. It's a prophetic messianic scripture. That means it's when the writers of the Old Testament, in this case, Isaiah, prophetically saw what was coming. And what they saw coming was this this figure, this Messiah, who would be God's sent one. And so this is speaking of that Messiah figure, speaking ahead into time of when Jesus will come. So we're going to be reading from chapter 9, verse 7. Chapter 9, verse 7. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And this is the key part I want to focus on today. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, as I said, this series is called No Greater Love. And this verse that we've just read, this passage is pointing forward to the coming of Jesus. But what's really interesting, there's a bunch of words in there which we probably wouldn't associate with love, with the coming Christmas story of, of Jesus being born in the world. We wouldn't associate them with Easter. But I wanted to dig into these words, these words of government, of, of justice, of righteousness. And what a government means when there's a new government it means that there's a change in the nature of the order of things in the world. Now, here in Victoria, we have a state election coming up and very soon we'll have a federal election coming up. And so you're starting to see, it's not officially announced yet, uh, but you're starting to see signs going up. You're starting to see the, the ads on TV. You're starting to see the candidates place themselves in the public eye. And when you start to get into election season, the candidates start to promise things. Parties have platforms. These platforms are what they stand for. Out of those platforms comes papers, which are policy papers of how they're going to achieve what they stand for. And so you hear all these different kinds of promises. While the parties may be difficult, or they are difficult sometimes, while they may be different in their political visions, they tend to promise similar things. They promise stability, order, justice, protection for citizens, growth and prosperity. And each of these parties' platform represents their values and how they want to achieve their goals. And so they promise us that they're going to achieve these platforms, these policies, these goals. And what we do is then when it gets to election day, when we go into the ballot 
uh, uh, box to cast our vote, we then have to decide which of these different platforms, which of these different candidates, which of these different policies, these promises, which one do we trust the most and to whom are we gonna cast our vote? Sometimes we may vote in protest because we don't like that candidate or we make a choice of accepting the lesser evil. Regardless of whether we're voting for someone or against someone, at the end of the day, when we vote for someone, we're actually saying, we're gonna listen to your promise. And for this moment in that ballot box, we're gonna give you our loyalty and our support, even if we're doing that grudgingly. Who will gain our loyalty is the question that comes in at election time. Now, what's interesting is we're in an election time where we choose a new government and this is happening when there's a bigger change happening in the world, in the natural order of things. Our governments now promise more than they've ever promised before. They promise to protect us, to make us prosperous, to make our society more equal, to protect us from the threats coming against the environment, enemies, be they armies or terrorists, to protect us from economic shocks. They also protect us to, so promise to educate us, to give us spaces to live in which are clean, safe, fair, and beautiful. Australians more than many other countries are promised much by our governments. We saw this in comparison to other nations around the world. When coronavirus came through our country, one difference that you notice when you're looking from a global perspective is what Australians wanted from their government. They want us to be protect they want us to be protected from corona. They wanted the government to get the vaccines out as possible, to have a low death rate and maximum freedom, and to pull that all off. Australians have very high expectations of our governments. And people, not just in Australia, but all across the world, not only do our governments promise more, we expect more from our governments. And we at this time are living off the last 30 years, particularly in the developed Western world, of 30 years of relative peace compared to the rest of history, of economic growth compared to the rest of history, and this moment of globalization where the world seems to be turning into a more stable and peaceful place. At least that's what it looked like for a lot of the last few decades, the decades which many of you have grown up in and come of age. And so that's what we're promised, that's what we expect. And armed with things like smartphones and the internet and different kinds of social movements are growing. And there's a mood that we see all across the world, not just in Australia, which wishes for more justice, more fairness than what we've seen in the past. Our governments promise more, we expect more from our governments. But all of that is happening. We are in an election season in our state and in the nation. Our governments are promising more than they've ever promised before. We expect more than has ever been promised before. But all this is now happening in a new shift, a new phase. We're entering into a more disruptive and dangerous period than most of us have ever lived through. We have lived through in Australia just in the last two years, devastating bushfires, a global pandemic. We have had lockdowns, which we probably never thought that we would ever see or experience in our lives. We have come out of, or coming out of, um, it's still around, coming out of a pandemic, or at least coming out of perhaps lockdown. And there is now a very dangerous war in Europe, which has real potential to spill over into a world war, or God forbid, even, a nuclear engagement. 
Plus, we've had across the eastern seaboard of Australia, terrible once in 500 year flooding. And just at the moment when our expectations have been raised of the kind of lives and kind of societies that we could have, all of these disruptions come in. The world has got more complex. It's much harder to govern in such an environment. So that means that the ability for governments to deliver on what they're promising is actually becoming more difficult by the day. I was surprised the other day when our prime minister, after months of promising that things were going to get better, after vaccines went across our country and that 2022 was going to be better, actually changed his tune and said quite a remarkable statement that living in Australia is going to start to get harder. I've never heard that in my life from governments. And this is a realization that governments are finding it difficult to govern. Threats are growing. Storms are gathering. Prime ministers and presidents across the world are starting to prepare populations with the fact that because of the economic storms, the social storms, the geopolitical storms, the environmental storms, that perhaps our standards of living will actually start to drop in the coming years. Now, one thing we need to know about Jesus to understand why this language in Isaiah speaks of government when speaking about Jesus is that just as political parties come in and announce they have a platform, a policy, a promise, and what they promise us is a change in the order of things, of a better world, that Jesus does something very similar. Jesus is born. We know about his birth stories and when he's a young child. We don't hear much from him for much of his adult life as he grows in strength with God, in wisdom and favor. But then when he emerges at the beginning of his ministry, at around the age of 30, Jesus begins his ministry after emerging from the wilderness by announcing a change in the order of things. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, it says this, After John was put in prison, this is John the Baptist who Ryan preached about last week, who came before Jesus announcing that the Messiah was coming. After he was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you might be used to that language, so it's become a bit rote and a bit routine for you. But he's proclaiming good news that there's a change in the order of what's happening in the world. In verse 15, he says this, The time has come. The time has come. He said, The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom or government of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. There is something that he's proclaiming. He's proclaiming a change in the order of things. He's saying we're moving now into a new phase. And he's saying not the government of Rome, not the government of Herod, not the government of the Greeks or the Armenians or the Assyrians, but the government of God. The kingdom of God is coming near. Now, what he's speaking about here is that what he's announcing will mark the arrival of a new kind of government, that God's government is going to be a new kind of government, and it's going to fundamentally change the order of things. This government has come near. And what's really interesting is that in the verses preceding that passage in Mark, when it talks about Jesus being baptized, 
in the river. It says the heavens opened. Really key verse to understand what this new kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God coming near means. The heavens open. We've talked about before that the heavens represent the pattern of what God wants to see in the world. So the heavens open. The pattern of heaven is revealed. The son of God is sent. And now with the heavens open, the earth ripe for a change. Jesus says, yes, the government of God has come near. Now, this change in the order of things has been long promised. This is what the prophets, this is what the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament speak of. They spoke of a time which was coming, the day of the Lord, the return of God, when a new order would be set in the world. When Jesus proclaims the good news, announces this new government in Luke's gospel in chapter 4, verse 18 to 21, he's come from the wilderness and he comes into a synagogue and he's given the task of reading from the scroll, the holy scriptures that day. You can imagine him walking to the front of the synagogue, just as someone might walk to the front of church to speak. He opens the scriptures and reads this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is pointing to all this is the prophetic promises of this new order of things that would come in the world. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Fairly normal occurrence to have someone read from the scriptures in a synagogue. But something's happening, something unspoken, something intangible to pick that passage. Something's on this young man. There's a spiritual weight and authority. How do we know this? Where it says this, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He then, sitting, replies to them, sensing that everyone's looking at him, that they've seen a change in the spiritual He began by saying to them, today, this scripture, this scripture, which promises this day of the Lord to come, a new change in the order of things. He points to that scripture and says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, two things come together here. One is this day of the Lord, this change in the order of things, God's good government coming to earth. He's saying that's happening. That's on. It's happening right now and you're living to see it. Your generations may have prayed and wanted for it, sung for it, yearned for it, but it's happening in your life right now. But the second thing he's saying is that something is on him. That so many of those scriptures and prophecies point to that day, but they also point to the one who will come and bring about that day. So all these promises of the Hebrew scriptures, all these themes, all these storylines, all these prophecies, which promised a new order of things had come true, but also they were pointing towards Jesus and being fulfilled in his life. Now, what's really key too? I think why this is an electric moment as Jesus opened those scriptures is that people see that this new order of things is radically different to the order in the world that currently exists. 
this new order of things, this new government that Jesus is proclaiming, the kingdom of God promised by Jesus is different to the order, the values, the systems, the policies, the governments of the world. This new order promised by Jesus, there is good news for the poor, freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight of the blind, the oppressed are set free. Those who are on the margins of society, particularly the economic poor in this upside down kingdom, they're actually going to be held up. Now, many of these things of bringing people in from the margins, of having a more equal or equitable society, of pushing back against injustice, many of these things are valued by us, especially in our culture today, which wishes for more justice, more equality. But that desire also needs to be held up against the reality that we continue to fall short. Despite our increased appetite for justice, the reality of the world shows us how far we are from this vision. Our systems seem impotent to fully root out hatred. Our international order struggles to hold back evil. A world which is crying for more justice, more equality, at this moment must look every night on the news of incredible hatred and violence and oppression being carried out in Ukraine. And there's a sense that this is happening and there's little that we can do without being then thrown into a potential globally devastating war, even with weapons of mass destruction. Our impotence to truly change the fundamental problems of the world at this moment is very clear. We need a new order of things. We need a new government. Well, to understand the need for a new government, to understand what Jesus is talking about when he announces this kingdom of God, this new government of God is coming, is we must ask the question, well, what is then a good government? Good societies must be run by people who do the good stuff, who govern well, build, protect, create an environment in which people can prosper and lead flourishing lives. It may sound slightly silly, but to do this, to govern well, is actually a form of enacted love, of serving others in order for them to flourish. Now, if you think about particularly how we think about love in the West, we have a sort of kind of romantic idea of it. It may be in the romantic relationship of affection. It also can be sort of in the platonic forms of affection. Love, we think of as telling someone you love them, giving them a gift, hugs, kisses. And that's how we tend to think about the way that parenting should be, that parenting should be giving your kids wonderful experiences, them giving them lots of affections, telling them lots of positive affirmation. And is that part of love? Absolutely. But there's something more than just hugs, kisses, and warm words. That actually parenting is a form of enacted love when you govern a home well by creating a safe and functioning and flourishing home. This is enacted love. So those who govern, those who govern societies must do that with enacted love. And societies 
must enact love by governing well so that people flourish. But at the same time, because we have people who then choose to act selfishly, who actually choose to act with hatred, that they must deal then with those who act not in love or selflessness, but who act in hatred or selfishness. For these actions create injustice and violence. These actions and attitudes can break an individual or at scale, they can actually tear a society apart. So governments need to, good governments need to do two things. First of all, they need to act, enact justice. They need to lovingly govern for human flourishing, but they also need to create actions to hold back those who choose to act in hatred or act in violence or act in dangerous ways to call them to account. What happens though, if the government is not lovingly selfless? What happens when the government itself is corrupt or oppressive? We see this all across the world. One of the things that our system does is it separates that act of trying to govern well of trying to move people to human flourishing. And it separates then that other function of bringing people to justice. That's why we have a government and we have a legal system and the legal system can hold the government to accounts. This is called the separation of powers where justice and lovingly serving everyone is actually separated. So that's the system that we have. But we also see how this system even falls short. Even the best systems which have separated justice and governing lovingly or selflessly still themselves struggle with injustice. Regardless of all the education programs, legal systems, marketing campaigns, government systems still fail to eradicate violence, injustice in our systems and the hatred, envy and bitterness that exists in the human heart. So therefore, if there is to be a new government in the world, it must deal with that root issue that even the best governments, the most functioning governments in the world still struggle with. The new order, if it's to come into the world and bring about good government in the world, a new order of things must confront these issues of how do you love lovingly govern and how do you hold justice together? God's promises of justice in the new order of things in the world, it must deal with this problem. It must love and also enact justice. Now, these injustices that we see flow both from the systems and structures of the world, but also from the actions of individuals. Injustice flows from the powerful and greedy at the top, but also from the bitterness, the lust, the pride, the envy and anger, even of the smallest human heart. So how does this new order of things that needs to come about in the world, how does it bring about justice when everyone is implicated in the ongoing nature of that justice, where we all fall short? If true justice is to come in the world and everyone is going to be held to account from the oppressive systems down to the bitterness in a single individual human heart, who's going to be left standing? And if God is love, if God is the origin of love, if he is good news for the oppressed, how does this love that God promises, how does that live alongside the wrath 
and coming reckoning against the injustices perpetrated by human systems in every human heart. So this order, at the time when Jesus announces it, he says the time is here. He's saying the year of the Lord's favour is here, that this God's good government has come close. Yet at that stage is not here fully. Now, one thing we need to understand, again, going back to that reality of the heavens opening, is that heaven holds together justice and love. In God's heaven, heaven is where God's will is in its fullest. It's where God's will is accepted and lived. That's what marks heaven. That's why we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this order, this order of heaven, in the words of Jesus has come close, yet it's not here fully. In Matthew, Jesus preaches at the start of his ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But what does this mean? It means this, the heavenly courts of God representing his rule and reign does not have a separation of powers. It holds together both loving government and holy justice. God is not corrupt. He is righteous and good. So there's no need to separate like our system does the government and the law courts. God's court, his throne room is a place both of government, of lovingly enacting love in a place of leading a society and people to flourishing. And it's also a place of complete righteousness and justice. This order of heaven, God's government, his justice, has in the words of Jesus come close. Yet it's not here fully. Something else must happen. Something which holds together justice and love. What then will hold together justice and love? The essence of good government. Will it be the smartest people? the TED talkers, the scientists, the diplomats, the activists and the artists, then all of a sudden being allowed to lead us. No, for no humans can truly achieve this goal because we all have that injustice in our hearts. This is where we return to the verse we began with, the messianic promise in Isaiah, where it says that one will come and government will rest upon his shoulders. Those shoulders will hold both love and justice. And on the cross, we see those shoulders. We see the shoulders which promised upon government would sit. Now before the cross, this was easily imaginable that this Government would sit on this messianic figure who would come and lead like the best king ever. And for people seeing that promise in the scriptures, it was easy then to imagine this super amazing warrior, wise king who would have the broadest shoulders to take on all the problems of humanity and solve them and actually put Israel back at the top of the pile. People will easily imagine a kind of super messianic king, a champion, a superhuman athlete, a powerful, broad-shouldered warrior. But what we're walking to, this Lent, is Easter, where Jesus' shoulders are in play. He is disrobed. 
His shoulders are in use, but his shoulders are straining to hold his lungs up so that he can continue breathing in those last moments. Government rests upon his shoulders, but their shoulders aching in pain, shoulders creaking and straining to take his last breaths. Shoulders which are holding him up at that moment on this terrifying and terrible Roman torture instrument known as the cross. So he can pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those shoulders will buckle and break, heaving up and down, gasping for breath. And those shoulders at that moment, good at government, at that moment on the cross, the two beams of the cross, love and justice are held together in that moment. Those justice and love is held on their shoulders, God's good government, before Jesus collapses into death, paying the price for our injustice and enacting love in a way that no one could have imagined. And the verse at the beginning we read from Isaiah says that God's government will rest on his shoulders and that he will achieve this in this zeal. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Zeal comes from the Hebrew word for kinah, meaning passionate, focused, almost jealous love, giving himself for our sins, the sins of the governments and the citizens of the world. It's not in a heroic moment like we may have imagined zeal would be. Instead, it's in this enacted love where he solves the problem of how to be loving and how to be just all in the same moment. Jesus proclaiming this new order, this good government, tells people to repent and believe the good news. Metanoia, repentance, what it means in the, in the Greek is actually a turning around. If you're heading in one direction, you then change your mind because you've been struck by something new, profound and true. And to repent is to hear that God is creating a new order of things in the world. He's holding together love and justice. And this is something which causes us to actually turn the direction of our life around, to make a 180 degree turn. And so this Lent, as we walk towards Easter, that moment in which justice and love, God's good government are held on Jesus' shoulders. Let's turn 180 degrees away from the other directions which lead us back to the past. And instead, let's walk with Christ resolutely towards the cross, which holds together justice and loving government. Let's align ourselves with the new order that is breaking out in the world for those who have eyes to see. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your gift of your act upon the cross. We think of all those promises and the way that you enacted. We think of the violence, the injustice, the oppression that we see all across the world, our impotence in the face of that. We also recognize the hunger for justice in our hearts. We recognize at this moment that governments and leaders of the world trying to lead towards a new order. But we know, Father, that ultimately all will fall short. 
And so we thank you for the kingdom of God, your good government, which is breaking out in the world, which holds up the poor, gives sight to the blind, proclaims freedom for the prisoners. And at this moment, we just pray that your new order of things will break through in tangible ways. We pray for peace, not just in Ukraine, but in Syria, in Mexico, Ethiopia. We pray for an end to hatred that we see across all different systems, hatred against that group, even just hatred between individuals. We ask that your justice comes, but we also thank you for your loving grace, that we don't deserve any of this. Yet you still invite us to be citizens of your new order, your godly government, your kingdom of heaven that is breaking out in the world. May we cherish and ponder that wonderful act that you did upon the cross, holding together justice and love. As in these weeks, we remember and walk towards the cross symbolically together. May we repent and truly believe this. In your name. Amen.